Hi, everybody. This is your girl, Kay Dick. Welcome back to Hear Our Voices. And I'm going to just tell you a couple of things we have to get in. If you don't know by now, I'm just saying the second time, the giveaway winner has been, not announced, but has been picked already. Um, because of privacy reasons, we don't tell exactly who that person is, but know that the person has been picked. You can you can understand why in homelessness, people might not want to tell their business and stuff like that. So that's why we do it that way. But thank you for all the people who have participated in the giveaway. Um, we really appreciate it. We're going to have a next one. Um, we're trying to do bigger and greater every time. So if you have any ideas that you want to drop, um, I would say leave in the comments, but I don't know if this really has a comment. If you want to go to our other social media, so again, to get us into it, follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, anything you can find here, our voices on, you see the little blue thing with the little people silhouette and the, the um microphone, that's us. So you can follow us on any platform that you choose. Um, it doesn't have to be all of them, but if it be one to go always get updates on Instagram, we're constantly updating about community baby showers, about GED programs, different things, work, um, jobs and stuff like that. So if we, I'm constantly on the story. Um, last week is kind of shaky because I was kind of busy, but this week I'll get back on it with those resources. We try our best to put it on Instagram, Facebook, and on Twitter all the time. Because we know people are not following us on every single platform, so we'll make sure we kind of distribute everything equally amongst all the plat um all the platforms. If you're a person who wants to be on the podcast itself, we would love I mean love 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 to have you to um hear your story. The qualifications for that is that you have to be a person who was in shelter or homeless in general, like couch surfing and um eviction kind of things in that area, right? And you have to have a child, at least one of your kids have to be under 18. So those are the qualifications for it. It's not a lot. Um, it doesn't matter what part of the U.S. you're from. But if you're from any part of the U.S., we would love to have you. And also, if you know anybody who speaks Spanish and who would like to be on a Spanish, Spanish podcast, we would love to have you on there, too. And um, you can also email that person or DM us, and we can get back to you as soon as possible all the information or if you're a person with just resources i mean helping people not to go in shelter helping people while they're in shelter also helping them with aftercare we would love to have because there's so much resources out there and people just don't know about it and we would love to give the information out to people families it doesn't matter as long as we're helping somebody to get a better life that's all we care about so thank you guys so i'm a, my guest is just patiently waiting for me while i finish this whole spiel to tell you guys um her name is Gabby, and she'll tell you a little bit more about herself. Thank you so much, Tudisha. I am super excited to be here with you and connect. Finally, I know we've tried a couple times. <laughs> right. um, and thanks for, for the intro and for inviting me here over the podcast. Um, so, yeah, my name is Gabby. My whole name is longer. It's Gabriela Sandoval Requena. I am the Director of Policy and Communications at New Destiny Housing. And I am also New Destiny is one of the co-conveners of the Family Homelessness Coalition, of which uh, I, where I met Kadisha as a policy, housing policy fellow. So super excited to be here with you. Yes. Um. As you know, our, the people who are over there until next month, well, technically in July, but who funds the podcast is the Family Homeless Coalition. And there are a bunch of nonprofits will come together that can help out. And I would say majority of them, I feel like it's family, but people do other things like New Destiny works, I want to say, with all people with DV. We talked about them before, um, them and Safe Horizon. 
Um, but I don't think they only work with, from what I understand, they don't only work with families, they work with anybody in a DV spectrum. If you, know, if you don't know what DV is, it's domestic violence. I, I try not to use such acronyms. People are like, what is that? What does that mean? Um, domestic violence. And also, before I even get into that, if you're a person who is involved in domestic violence, like you're, I would say the victim, but survivor, or um, I guess you're a victim until you get out of it. So that's how it is. Um, please get help don't think that people are not going to listen to you and the first person doesn't listen to you go to the next person get yourself out of it it's not only beating it can be um speaking it could be financial it could be a lot of different things of how a person is taking control over you and what you have which should be only you you know kind of doing kind of thing so please get the help that you need um if you need any numbers anything like that it will be down below i'm very passionate about getting people help if they need it and sometimes you might not think that you need it and you don't even realize you're in this situation but then you are because manipulation can be very a stronghold in your life and if you have a person with, if you're a person with kids don't even do it for yourself do it for your kid think about your baby and how they will grow up and thinking that what is happening to you is okay because our children don't work learn from what we say they learn from what the actions that we actually do um, they learn from what we say too but i feel like they learn from more of the actions that's actually happening around them um, you could say not do this, not do that, but they see that mommy is doing this or dad is because people only think it's only women get beaten. No, man, it's happening to men too. It's just not put out there as often. Um, and if you're a man who's listening to this, don't be ashamed. You can also get help. Um, I feel like they don't have an, as much help as the women do, but we are working on those things. I'm just saying, kind of cut into there a little bit. Um, just just don't feel like you're alone. I personally have not been through the situation, but I know many of people who have and they have come out on the other side stronger so if you do need the help we can get you the help that you need mm -hmm. so just be aware of that sorry about that <laughs> so thank you um, thank you for sharing that i think it yeah you're 100 correct kadisha yes yeah so she says she worked in policy what exactly in policy do you work with at new destiny houses yeah, that's such a great question. So um, I work in the advocacy department. We are a little bit different than other organizations because I manage both policy and communications. Um, and the policy side, that's the advocacy where we try to get the decision makers in the city to allocate more housing resources to survivors of domestic violence. So as you mentioned before, Kadisha, um, Domestic violence takes different shapes and forms. Um, the power and control that the abuser uh, puts on the the victim, you know, it could be it could be physical, but it could also emotional, financial, psychological. It could be all, uh, and but it, it escalates over time. And the mm -hmm. one need that survivors expressed over and over that's crucial for them to get out of the situation is housing services. So yes, uh, there are excellent partners in the city that provide housing, uh, temporary housing, like shelter for domestic violence survivors. I know you had Safe Horizon here and the podcast before, they talk about their shelter services and resources, uh, but we are, New Destiny is focused more on the, on what happens next, you know, what happens, how, can a survivor get permanent housing, an apartment of their own that they're gonna be able to afford for their kids, for themselves in the future. So that's where we are, um, that, that's where our focus is as an organization. We have um, two programs that we are, we're 
known for the most. And funny fact, I don't know if you know this, but we actually started off as part of Safe Horizon back in the day. Oh, wow. We we were part of, yeah, we were part of victim services back then. If that's what it was called before changing their name to Safe Horizon. And we started as their development partner. And we would kind of do like technical assistance for organizations that wanted to build supportive housing or that wanted to build shelter. Um, and then over time, we really, you know, we became our own organization. And then we started really developing uh, permanent housing with supportive elements. So um, we, we do supportive housing for domestic violence survivors here in the city. And uh, we are the largest provider of uh, supportive housing for survivors in the city. We have about 10, uh, 10 buildings right now. And uh, besides that, we also have a program that's called Housing Link. Uh, that's the rapid rehousing program where we help survivors who are fleeing a situation of abuse or already in shelter access services uh, like subsidies so that they can get um, permanent housing and and rebuild their lives with their you know if they're on their own or if they have kids. Um, so yeah, so that's that's what we do. And where I come in, it's kind of you know okay, well we have there are certain programs, but we wanna we wanna there to be more, right? We want there to be more opportunities for survivors to, to um, access permanent housing. Um, you know, the 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 pandemic made things a lot worse for survivors. But even before that, domestic violence had been the number one driver of family homelessness in New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has been for about six years or so, and that's more than evictions more than um, other situations that may push you know families to to, to the shelter system and um and so that you know the, the crisis is it's it's huge and and we want to be able to provide you know those resources for the survivors to to be able to build their lives and and to to take you know start a new chapter um safely got it i have a question because i feel like we we do these kind of things like people who are used to it we say certain words and people might not understand who's listening what exactly is supportive housing like it might i feel like i it's always put out there but if a person is just coming in and they might not understand it like you know layman's person tell me what supporting how supportive housing actually is and how does it help and does everybody qualify for it right or does certain people qualify for it yeah yeah so um so let, let me answer, that's a two-part question. So let me right. answer, answer the first one. Um, so supportive housing is permanent, affordable housing for um, individuals who, I mean, the we, what we do is permanent, affordable housing with on-site trauma-informed services for all of our tenants, but especially for domestic violence survivors. Um, when I say all of our tenants, because because our buildings are not like 100% domestic violence survivors. It's usually about 50 or 60% of the units set aside for survivors in shelter. And then the rest are filled through the housing lottery that's also known as Housing Connect. Um, And people can, you know, they have to meet the income criteria because it is for low-income New Yorkers. But um, not everyone in the building must have a history of domestic violence, although there is a lot of times, you know, um, overlap in 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 need. Um, the but our services are on site, trauma informed, available for anyone that lives in the buildings. Um, 
uh, and what we do is a little bit different than what the traditional supportive housing model is known for that's more geared towards folks. Um, originally, it was geared towards folks that had uh, a, a, a mental illness or um, substance use issue or, or you know, a, a disability that, that was diagnosed and a history of, of homelessness. Um, there are different types of programs and services that allow providers like us to, you know, to, to provide services to survivors who do not necessarily meet that definition uh, of, you know, having a diagnosed disability or of having that over a year shelter stay, although that is, that, that's often the case. Um, but, but we are a little bit different. So uh, in the city, there are different funding mechanisms that kind of um, determined what, who can access what type of supportive housing. Uh, and I bring this up because um, we, uh, as a provider of supportive housing in the city, our funding comes from the state. There is a program that was created about eight years ago, and that allows New Destiny and others, uh, like barrier-free living in the city, to develop supportive housing for uh, domestic violence survivors. Um, but the city has its own program that's called NYC 1515 that was launched at around the same time that the state one that funds us, but the city doesn't have domestic violence survivors as an eligible population. Uh, they decided to uh, really target populations that uh, had a longer history of shelter stays, uh, youth, however, is eligible to access city-funded supportive housing. Uh, but the process itself, it, it's a little bit more complicated. And, and to be quite honest with you, I'm not 100% familiar of what the process is to access uh, supportive housing that is funded through the NYC 1515 program because we don't operate any, any supportive housing through that program because domestic violence survivors are not an eligible population. Um, so I'm not familiar what the process is from A to Z, but I do right. know that uh, for families, for instance, uh, they're required, the head of household is required to have a diagnosed disability uh, in addition to having that extended shelter day of a year or over. Wow, and, um, you know, like, <laughs> exactly. And and survivors, you know, they will spend that time in shelter, unfortunately. Right. So um, if they enter shelter, you know, like they can stay in the temp in the emergency domestic violence shelter system for up to six months in total. And then they have to transition either to a different type of domestic violence shelter if there is availability or right. what usually happens, most of them end up going to the larger, the bigger uh -huh. Uh, the the bigger Department of Homeless Services, um, family well usually it's families right so family shelter system or the single adults, uh system but um so they they do have that that prolonged shelter stay most of them, but um a lot of times survivors don't want to get diagnosed you know because they don't wanna they don't wanna have that paper trail that right out of fear of, of losing the kids to their abuser uh, right. if they're in court proceedings. But also because, you know, there is kind of like a larger issue of, you know, they are the victim, they're the ones that were abused. Um, and it's well-documented that domestic violence does impact health negatively and, and permanently. I mean, survivors have 
uh, a lot of trauma issues uh, like post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, they tend to have a high blood pressure. They tend to struggle oh, with anxiety, wow. depression, all of these other issues. So why is it that they need to get diagnosed to get the housing? You know, why that, do they have to have that disability and fill right. out this very extensive psychosocial application that's called 2010E in order to access that housing, uh, which is actually one of the areas where New Destiny is strongly advocating for, for the city to open up their supportive housing program in YC1515 to survivors of domestic violence. Um, but going answering your question, so how can a survivor access New Destiny supportive housing? Um, it's uh, they have to have they have to be in shelter that's that's the, the number one priority i mean that's the criteria they have to be in shelter and there is also we do something that's like a, a safety assessment because a survivor may not want to go back or really should not go back to the borough or the neighborhood where their abuser resides right so we we do a safety assessment uh once we we announce right we tell uh, the Human Resource Administration, that's the agency in the city that manages the domestic violence shelter system, we tell them, listen, we're opening up a building in Queens, we're going to have X amount of units send us applications. So they, they submit an application, uh, the housing or sh uh, specialist or shelter, you know, um, in the shelter, the, the case managers, they fill out this application, they, they send information about the survivor, and then uh, we, um, the, the team does the, the safety assessment, they go through the criteria, you know, and then they select the, the survivors for the units. But but specifically because, again, it's, it's unfortunately, it, there are limited a number of units, you know, we, we can just we, we don't have there there is not enough housing for that that meets the need at this moment so right. um so yeah but but our units are geared specifically for survivors who are in the shelter system i have a question i don't understand like not understand is to me when a person is in domestic violence situations it's usually not a, a one or two month time thing it's usually a couple months or a year of a thing when a soldier granted this has just been a phenomenon i can't say how much years but it wasn't like when the, we had our first war we thought oh they have ptsd um it took time for them to acknowledge that it happens right but we know that some survivors can't sleep right because they just don't know what's like they're on edge all the time why can a doctor say person who's been through this domestic violence is PTSD. Like they say when the person goes to war and they always hearing like, if a trash can get hit, they think it's like a bomb get. To me, I think that just, it correlates together. I'm not a doctor, granted. I didn't go to school for this. I went to school for theater arts. But a lot of things in the med medical profession, they don't consider as PTSD until years after. And I feel like people are suffering now. The problem is now. We cannot wait till things off. Like a doctor told me before, um, when, uh, when something happened to a child, like, when a molestation kind of thing, you know, happens because it's going to YouTube and they're very weird with words, happens to a mm -hmm. child, they don't consider that child having PTSD, but it follows them until adulthood. So why is that not PTSD as much as a, of a bomb is getting thrown on somebody that is PTSD? It doesn't make sense to me. Like, why are these crazy things happening in your life and it's not getting kept? Like, I'm not saying you should put A by your medication, but people should be getting help for these things. And if their housing is affected. They should be getting the housing because they need to get their self together to be make better for themselves or their family. Like it doesn't make to me for a person who's who's not in medical school, who didn't go all these years. To me, it's like a no brainer. Like 
this person went through a traumatic event. Some people have gotten hit. I know people who have personally almost died because of this thing, but yet a person goes to war is mm-hmm. qualified because they went through hand-to-hand combat kind of thing. It's more, in my mind, you're saying it's more important to get help than a person who is out yeah. here literally fighting for the life every day with their child who's seeing them. So not only did one person get affected, if people have multiple children, that person get affected and those kids are getting affected and they can't get help. It doesn't make sense to me, yeah. you know? Um, can they use that as a thing as should be, as doctors should see that now as PTSD? Because technically it is. In my mind, like, I feel like it is. I might be wrong, but I feel like it should be qualified I, under that. No, you're, you're you know? right. You're right. And that's what the state does, right? The state is like, well, if you're a survivor, if you're a domestic violence survivor, then that makes you, then then you you are eligible for supportive housing because they acknowledge that that all the trauma that you just mentioned. And and you're hundred percent correct, Kadisha. Matter of fact, um survivors of domestic violence are more likely than football players to have traumatic brain injury. Oh wow. But they usually go undiagnosed. Because you're right, it's not that they get hit once, they get hit multiple, multiple times. And 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 the brain takes, you know, a physical toll and over time it just gets worse and worse and worse. And and the kids, hundred percent correct, the kids are the ones that suffer because they see that and and there are more there have been studies that demonstrate that children that witness abuse, they are either more likely to be victimized, to be victims when they're adults, or to 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 be the the abuser in a relationship right. because they're not exposed to what a healthy relationship is, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, that's one of the things that I I like. You know, I enjoy a lot about the work that we do is the the work that we do with the kids. You know, the kids um, in our building. We do a lot of activities that are specifically focused on children and how they can get to be kids. You know, they can right. get to have that moment of joy of happiness um, and play. You know. Um, and, and, and that really helps also break the cycle. Um, you've probably seen the statistic that as of right now, 17% of parents who are in the Department of Homeless Services shelter system, they were in shelter as children. So there is a cycle that's that's tangible, it's it's real, it's visible. And that's why, you know, housing interventions like supportive housing for survivors are crucial. But, you know, also there are, yes, yeah, so supportive housing is great, but also, you know, not all survivors require that level of support that, right. that to be in a building. And, and so that's why, you know, we also have that other program. And I know you're going to speak with my colleague, Gina, more about it. She's the one that manages our housing access uh, programs. Um, but, you know, that that's, I think, I don't, an, another area that uh, we can do more of, you know, to provide, to make sure that families, survivors have uh, rent subsidies so that they can afford rent permanently um, and that they have access to aftercare resources, right? Because what happens after they get placed, many of them, because they've been subjected to financial abuse, also they've never managed their own bank account. They've right. never been able to have, you know, receive their paycheck. Uh, maybe they've never wrote a, a written a check, you know, so how you learn those skills. Um, and that's part of it's the process. It's not like you take a class one day and then you learn everything. No, there are different <laughs> right. issues that arise. And so, 
I mean, I wish it was like that, right? You could just like turn a button and then learn everything immediately. Um, but but it's not. So that's why we also provide those services. I mean, case managers are in touch with the survivors after their place so that in case they have any questions or in case an emergency comes up, in case they're no longer safe, for instance, you know, because it's a journey, it's a process, you know, healing is not a one-time thing. It's, it's it happens over time and, and has ebbs and flows. And sometimes a survivor may be in a safe situation and maybe they're, they they go into a relationship that's, again, not safe, not healthy. Right. So, um, you know, it, and, and we're, we, are, we do a lot of, of our work is trauma-informed and really survivor-led. Like we let them make decisions. We, we, we provide information, but we are not, we're not, our case managers are not there to tell you know, survivors, oh, listen, this is what you need because we know better than you. No, right. it's it's the opposite, right? We let them, I mean, if they, we see they're struggling, we let them know that the services that we have, but we understand that it's a journey and it's not permanent. I mean, it's not, sometimes it's not permanent. Sometimes there are things that that um, that don't work out uh, and, and we try to be there, you know, for, for them through the whole process, so. But yeah, but you're right. I think that there is a lot of more work that um, awareness that could be done about, about, you know, what domestic violence is and the negative effects that it has on, on the adults and also on the kids. Thank you for coming again to this week's podcast with Gabby. Tune in next week and actually the week after that, she'll be on a roll. So guys, you'll never get enough of her for the next three weeks. You'll be hearing her story is not her story but sorry you'll be hearing more about domestic violence and things from the destiny in this podcast and next week's and also the spanish podcast so if you know anybody who's, who speaks spanish and who would like to listen in about what gabby does you could definitely go check that out so thank you guys for stepping by, stopping by see you next time don't forget to follow us on all social media platforms okay guys bye